0: Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. It's a great day to be born. Um, I do appreciate that. Um, I would be remiss of it not acknowledge, as, as you know, that September 12th comes after September 11th, and for 20 years now, it has kind of been a sobering thing, honestly, to have my birthday on September 12th, because in some ways you feel like you're just missing what happened, you know, on the 11th, over 20 years ago. But actually, Pastor David today in our devotional before the gathering said that he had heard from someone to say the best way to honor what happened on September 11th is be September 12th people, to live, uh, to live as though we are grateful that we have life and we have freedoms. And I kind of took that personally, and I was like, well, I was born on the 12th, and so um, I, now it has a good meaning for me, but thank you uh, for that. I appreciate that. And speaking of living, that's what we're going to talk about today in the sermon, but as always, we're going to pray before we do that. We do want to pray for those that have lost loved ones and those that are continuing to serve our country. It is a sobering time, but we want to honor, obviously, what the Lord is doing, um, And the fact that we do have the words of life. And that's what we're gonna read in John chapter six today. So pray with me, then we'll jump into the message. Father, thank you for loving us. We thank you for life, for creating us. And then even when we sinned, that you sent Jesus to give us life. And God, we do want to acknowledge that we are now 20 years removed from one of the worst days in our history as a country. And on that day, 20 years ago, we were reminded of the fact that there is evil in the world. But God, help us to be reminded that evil doesn't exist in a certain group of people. It exists in all of us. And that is why it is so important that we respond to your drawing to come to Christ and have life. And so God, we do pray specifically for those who lost loved ones or friends um, in the attack 20 years ago. And for those that are still obviously dealing with the repercussions of that has had so many repercussions for our country. So God, we pray for wisdom for our leaders and pray that you continue to guide them and help them to make the best possible decisions in light of the threats that we face. But God, I do pray again for all of us that we would understand that the greatest threat that we face is not something outside of us. It is something inside of us. The problem with the world today is me. And so God, I pray that you would speak to us through your word now as we open it. As always, God, we know that you have given us your word to teach us. As we're gonna read about that very fact today, God, we ask that you would teach us. You would fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, that you would help us to see and to hear the truth that is in it, God, because if we can get this truth in our hearts, it would change us. But we know, God, that we resist it, so would you overcome our resistance to it by the power of your spirit through the preaching of your word, and would you help me to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 6, John chapter 6. Last week, if you were here, we jumped back into the gospel according to John, and we just picked up where we left off a few months ago in John chapter 6, and last week we looked at uh, what is a pretty long discourse by Jesus, a conversation that Jesus has with those around him after he just performed this miracle of multiplying the bread. And so he's using the conversation about what happened with the bread to make a theological, deeper point about how we all look for things like bread to fill us. And, and bread is, you know, we all pretty much have a love-hate relationship with bread, you know, carbs and that whole kind of thing. But it's amazing to me that every time a disaster comes, people go for bread and milk. Like, I don't get it. All right. I mean, I I would want something else than those, and I don't know if they just like like to dip the bread in the milk. I don't. I don't don't understand. All right, but it is just what we go to, Uh, and so this is still a relevant conversation and message that Jesus has for us, and we get the concept of bread. And again, just pick up where we left off last week, where Jesus is having this conversation about how he is the bread of life. We're going to start this week with seeing how the Jewish people responded. To him. So we're gonna go verse 41 and then we'll work our way all the way down to verse 59. All right, so let's go. Verse 41 says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? All right, let's stop and chat here for a second. You do have to understand the claims that Jesus is making. And the reason why we talk a lot about Jesus around here is because Jesus is the only person to have ever claimed to be God. He had a supernatural birth. And that matters. People are like, "What well, does the virgin birth matter?" Yes, without the virgin birth, Jesus is not God. And then he dies just like everybody else, but he has a supernatural resurrection and he never dies after that. He's still alive to this day. So the reason why we say Jesus is the only way is because Jesus is the only one. There is no one else who has a story like Jesus. And the problem with the Jewish people is they forgot that. They misunderstood that. They misunderstood that Jesus had... A supernatural birth. Joseph was not his biological father. And the, the reason we know this is because Joseph himself, if you know the story of Christmas, struggles with the fact that his soon to be bride is now pregnant with, with a child that is not his. And so he adopts Jesus into his family. So Jesus has a supernatural birth, but the Jewish people were just grumbling like, hold up, ain't this Joseph's boy? We know his family. How can he be saying he came from heaven? Now again, you have to understand and give the Jewish people a little bit of uh, compassion here in this moment to understand That they can't see the greater thing that is going on, and Jesus, the name Jesus in our society at least has some reverence to it. I mean, not very many kids have the parents have the audacity to name their kids Jesus, right? I mean, I mean that poor guy would just be ridiculed his entire life. But culturally speaking, in Hebrew, Jesus was a very common name. In fact, it's Joshua or Yeshua because they would say it with a Y sound, not a J sound. So they're like, isn't this Yeshua, the son of Yosef? Everybody knows this dude. Now he's somebody who came from heaven? That's the conversation. But there's one thing I wanna point out here, and this is not the main point, but kind of a sub-point, and the reason why I wanna point it out is because I think it's important for us to understand. It says the Jewish people grumbled about him. Grumble. Now, grumble is not a word that we use as much. You might say gossip today, or we talked about. But the idea of grumbling is this it literally means to kind of whisper underneath your breath about someone. Um, this is what your children will do when you tell them to clean their room. I was I was. I could clean my room. I'm going to show you. Right, this is what you do when your boss tells you to do something you don't like. It doesn't even make intelligible sense. You're just grumbling. Right? This is what you do when your team is not playing well. You know. But but there's something I want to point out here because and the reason why I'm giving you these examples is because. We have not evolved very far from this in the 21st century. The Jewish people were grumbling. Now, notice the words, about, and that word is there in the Greek. I checked it. It's a preposition. It means in reference to. Notice what they're not doing. They're not asking Jesus, hey, why are you sa- I'm confused, help me. They're grumbling about Jesus amongst themselves. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago for our series, Welcome to Our Family, this is why we said in our family, we don't do this. We assume the best about somebody. We go ask them for clarification and we don't accuse them. We assume the best. We ask. We don't accuse. And if you wanna know why we have that as a family cultural statement is because of verses like this. We've been around humanity long enough to know that up in tr- even church folk, it during the sermon we like. I don't know. I just not talking about money. I just want to talk about. Money. Right? You're probably grumbling now about the fact that I'm talking about you grumbling. <laughs> and here's why I pointed out. Look at how Jesus responds. Verse forty-three. Jesus answered them. Do not grumble among yourselves. Any confusion on that? And what do you think? Do you think that this is written in the Greek that's a suggestion, or do you think it's a command? Talk to me. Which one? Command. It is. You're right. Do not grumble amongst yourself. If the church today would just obey that command... 90% 90% of the issues would be solved. Do not grumble amongst yourselves. What is Jesus saying? Don't be talking to them about me. If you have a question about me, come ask me. Assume the best, ask, don't accuse. I think that's what Jesus would say. Now, I'm not trying to be extra biblical and put words in his mouth. That's how we would say it, though. But it's important to understand, watch this. So much of their confusion comes out of their disobedience. Isn't that so true today? So much of the confusion comes out of our simple disobedience to commands that God gave us. So if we would just obey the commands, a lot of the confusion would be cleared up. Because when we grumble and we we just walk away, we miss the opportunity to reconcile. We miss the opportunity to get clarification. If they just grumbled and walked away, they would have missed Jesus explaining what he meant by saying he's the bread. So now let's get into that. Back to verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Now, this is hugely important. Jesus is making some huge theological points here. Uh, So many of them. I mean, I could preach the whole sermon on this one text, but let me just give you a couple. One is Jesus is showing them how to rightly understand the Old Testament. Now, again, we are what we would call ourselves New Testament believers, which means we have come to faith in Christ after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came and descended, the church was started, so we're living in this season. But it doesn't mean that we don't look to the Old Testament anymore. In fact... The early church, that's all they had. All they had was the Old Testament. So if you want to be a faithful believer, you can't just do away with the Old Testament in its entirety, but you do have to handle it correctly. You say, well, how do I handle it correctly? Well, look at how Jesus handled it. Look at how Peter handled it. Look at how Paul handled it. Look at how they explained. There's so many references in the New Testament to the Old Testament. Jesus does it here. And he says, this is what the prophet said. And he says this phrase, you will be taught by God. Now, most theologians think he's referring to three different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Again, I don't have time to get into all those references, but one that is probably the most prominent is Jeremiah chapter 31 through 33, which is where we would have what we call the new covenant. This is where... God was prophesying through Jeremiah about what he would do in the future. And the point that God makes through Jeremiah is, I am going to teach them. I will be their God. They will be my people. And he says it like this. I will write my law on their hearts. And he's referencing the fact, I'm not gonna write them on stone this time, like he did with the 10 commandments through Moses. I'm gonna write it on their hearts. So Jesus is picking that up and he's saying, listen, that's what God is doing now. He is teaching you by sending me. He's teaching you by sending me. So their problem was they weren't being taught by God. They weren't being discipled by God. Now, this is still the greatest problem today The greatest problem today is we're being taught by everybody else but God. We're being taught by our political parties. We're being taught by our favorite news organizations. We're being taught by now this really weird category of people called influencers on Instagram. We're being taught by all these people. We're being taught by ESPN. We're being taught by all. But our biggest problem is we are not being taught by God. And Jesus, and this is a second point that he's making here, if you want to rightly understand God, look at Jesus. Hebrews says that in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So the revelation of God shows up in a person, which is why John calls him the word, So if you want to know the words of God, look at the word. Look at Jesus. Now, Jesus makes another point when he says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So here's a connection I want you to see. God drawing you is God teaching you. Let me say it to you like this. God draws you by teaching you. He draws you by teaching you. Now, again, this word draw, there's a lot of theological discussion over this, and and this message is going to be a little dense, by the way, so I'm going to try to give you in small, you know, little pieces of bread as we go along, all right? But there's theological debate about what does he mean by draw? Some people use it like he's wooing us to himself. But the literal meaning of the word draw is the idea of if you have a well and there's water in the bottom of it, you draw the water. Now, do you do that by sitting at the top and like, here, water, 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 water. Here, water, 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 water. Come on, water, 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 water. Anybody draw water like that? No, because you'd be insane. That's not how it works, right? Now, we still have wells today. No, you draw water by sending a bucket down, lifting up the water and pulling it back up. Anybody catch what I just said? You draw water by sending a bucket down and then pulling it back up. To draw you, what did God do? He sent Jesus down and he pulled him back up. See, being taught by God is being drawn by God, and how you're drawn by God, how you're taught by God is through Jesus. This is why it's so important. In fact, the decisive, the decisive point to faith is Jesus. People say, why Jesus? Tell me someone else who was sent by God and came back up. There's not one. So why Jesus? It's not because we're bigot, narrow-minded people. No, we have a belief system, and anyone who tells you you're narrow-minded, just say back to them, so are you. And people say, well, you have a lot of dogma. Dogma is just simply a belief system. It's not a bad word. Everybody has a belief system. Everybody has a narrow viewpoint. The difference is our viewpoint is simply backed up by the fact that Jesus actually did what he said. And so Jesus is saying to them, listen, your problem is you're misunderstanding the bread that came down. That's our biggest problem too. So he goes on, look at this. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me, comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. This is why Jesus is saying this about himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, in case you are confused, I am the bread of life. So he says this again. He said it last week, saying it this week. Said it earlier in John 6, saying it again. I am the bread of life. Now, this is where it's, again, so important for us as followers of Jesus, as the church of the living God, to make sure our dogma, our belief systems are correct. And the decisive point is what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? That's the decisive thing. And their problem was they couldn't see who Jesus for who he really was. They couldn't understand this was God in the flesh who came down. And he was replacing, we'll get into this in a little bit, the bread they had before. Now, I said this last week in the sermon, and it wasn't a point, but I'm going to give it to you this week as the point, because I want to make sure you understand it, because this is the decisive issue. So you might want to write this one down. Saving faith is coming to Jesus as bread, not for bread. Saving faith is coming to Jesus as bread, not for bread. Why am I making that distinction? Why am I picking it up from last week's sermon this week? Here's why. There's a phenomenon that's happening Uh, And it always happens, but in the world of social media, it's getting a lot more traction these days. And you may have no idea what I'm talking about, but I feel this pastoral angst to keep coming back around this word because it is popular, and there's there are a lot of would be what we would might call famous Christians that are going through this process that people are now called deconstruction, where they are deconstructing their faith, things that they used to believe now. They don't. And here's why I am bringing it up. I 100% believe that people who are deconstructing their faith are people who came to Jesus for bread, not people who came to Jesus as bread. What do I mean by that? There's a lot of people who came to Jesus to fix their marriage to fix their issues, to fix their problems. Everything else had fallen apart. They came to Jesus desperate. They came to Jesus depressed. They came to Jesus anxious. Now, is it bad to come to Jesus in any of those points in time? No. And don't hear what I'm not saying as well. I'm not saying if you just come to Jesus, then you won't have to, you know, there is no more depression. No, because depression is so much more nuanced and complex than just, you know, my my life is not going well, brain chemistry, all those other factors involved. But what I'm getting at is this. There's so many people that found themselves in an untenable situation, and they came to Jesus because someone told them he could fix it, and they were desperate enough to let him try. So they came to Jesus, not because they wanted Jesus, but because they wanted something from Jesus. And then they didn't get those things. So they walked away from Jesus. I can't tell you. I mean, how many untold, probably millions of people used to walk with Jesus that don't anymore. Now, are they saved or not? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I'm using that phenomenon as an example to teach you come to Jesus for Jesus. And here's what I 100% believe. If you come to Jesus for Jesus, you will not deconstruct your faith because Jesus won't let it. We'll get into this next week because you will see there's no one but Jesus. Jesus. Paul, or not Paul, the disciples next week, Peter says, Jesus, to whom else will we go? There's no one else. See, if if you will be intellectually honest enough to actually look at the options, to actually look at the dogmas, to actually look at the belief systems... You will come to the only point you can logically come to that says no one else came back to life and never died again like Jesus. See, without that fact, the whole thing falls apart. It's not enough to believe he was just a good man who loved some children and held some lamps. Right? And we should just walk around like Jesus. People who say that stuff don't actually read what Jesus says, because Jesus says some weird stuff. In fact, let's get into what he says. He says, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever." So Jesus is taking the concept of bread and he's ramping it up, pushing them to see, if you eat this, if you believe this, if you believe in me, you will live forever. What a statement. I mean, you don't say that unless you're either insane or you're God. People are like, well, he was just a good teacher, Not if he talks like that. I mean, this is cult-level stuff, right? And and don't hear me. You're like, are you calling Jesus a cult leader? No, because he's the only one who can say this stuff. If anybody else says this stuff, they're a cult leader. Jesus happens to be God, though. But you need to understand. this This is what I mean when I say come to Jesus as bread. Are you trusting in Jesus alone? Are you coming to Jesus for Jesus? Are you coming to Jesus because you just want something now that you think would make you happy? There's a difference. And so don't miss this. Jesus is connecting belief to eating bread, which is one of the reasons why I love him. I can understand that. I love how Augustine said it. He was a very famous bishop in Africa in the fourth century, and I got it here on the screen. Here's what he says. Believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. So if I come to Jesus as the bread, which means I'm believing that I have no other hope outside of Jesus and I want him alone than I've eaten. Now, this is where it gets real strange. Now, hang with me here, all right? Especially if you're new. And I'm acknowledging the fact on the front end, it's gonna sound like we're cannibals and vampires. But look at what he says in verse 51. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Notice, it went from grumbling to disputing. Grumbling is quietly whispering amongst ourselves. Disputing literally means fighting out loud verbally. But watch, they're still disputing, where? Among themselves. Again, this is how the devil works. It's been happening since Genesis 3, right? God tells Adam and Eve what to do. The devil comes around. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, really what he said? I, mean, I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know about you, but that tree looks pretty good. And then they hear it, and then they start debating on it, disputing it. Probably the first marital fight. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is we see this pattern repeated all the time. Satan whispers in our ear, we start grumbling, and then we start shouting, but notice they're still doing it amongst themselves, and here's the point I'm trying to make, humans thinking that they can debate it out amongst themselves show the height of the arrogance of trying to figure out the biggest questions about life without consulting God. See, that's the height of our hubris as humans. It was a lot of H's, and that was pretty good. It's the height of our thought pro- I don't need to ask God. I can debate it out myself. Right? And, and have you ever done this? You're like, if the coach would have just called me, we would have won. We call that Monday morning what? Quarterbacking you go get chased down by a dude that's over 300 pounds that can run a four or five and then let me know. (laughs) You make life-altering decisions with people chasing you. Right? That's the height of arrogance. People in desperate need of athletic workouts Complaining about high-performing athletes. <sighs> but we do this, don't we? And, and he, we do this with God. If I were God, it wouldn't have happened this way. Now, I'm not saying that everything that happened, that God enjoyed that it happened, i.e. suffering. But we don't know what God knows, and so therefore we can't do what God does. And it's the height of our arrogance to think that we're smart enough to figure it out ourselves without divine help. This is why, and I forgot to say this earlier, when when Jesus talked about drawing, I, I gotta be honest with you, I don't understand Christians who don't like the theological position of God's sovereignty, which simply means he overcomes our resistance to him. I don't understand why people don't like that, like it somehow violates the human will. Oh, God's a gentleman, he would never do that. He would just sit there and come on, water, water, water. Come on, water, water, water. No, Jonathan Edwards, another great theologian said, my will is in bondage to sin. And this is where people are like, what about sovereignty of God? What about free will? Here's the problem with your free will and my free will. We would never choose him. Never. You are free. You're free to choose. The problem is you'd never choose him because you would never come to the conclusion that you can't do it by yourself. But God has to overcome that resistance to you, to him. And, and then give you a new will. Now watch this. Once that happens, regeneration, then you choose him. That's how it works. And, and I, again, and I'm not being mean, I, I just, all I know is this. I would have never chose God unless he chose me. I would have never come to him unless he overcame my resistance to him. I would have been like the Jewish people disputing amongst myself or ourselves now, Jesus is going to ratchet it up. Look at this, verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay. We can at least admit that that's weird, right? That's weird. So before cannibalism cannibalism and uh, that vampire movie, what was it? You know that was real popular. Yeah, I knew you'd know it because you're sinners. Um, that joke nails every time. Don't don't I ain't, I watched it too. All right, just teenage love story. It's all it is. All right. before that ever came along, Jesus is saying weird stuff like this. Now is that? Literally what he means, that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood? Again, that sounds weird. Now, again, I don't have time to break all this down, but I just want you to understand something. When we take communion, the Lord's Supper, you know, there's bread and there's wine, and it was wine, we are taking it metaphorically, symbolically, saying these symbolize his body and his blood. Now, within the history of the Christian church, there's kind of three main streams. You have the Orthodox church, you have, that's the Eastern church, you have the Catholic church, that's the Western church, broke off from that, and then you got Protestants who broke off from Catholics. But... Catholics primarily, and depending upon the version of the Eastern Orthodox Church, they actually believe in what is, they would say the word Eucharist, when you take that bread and cup, it's this thing called transubstantiation happens, which is a big fancy theological word. You know, trans, it means to change, substitute, substitution, substitutionary atonement. The idea that in that moment, miraculously, that actually became Jesus's blood and body. Now, again, the Protestant position is we don't see it like that. We don't see it as that is literal, but they would interpret these passages that Jesus is saying is more literally. And I'm not talking bad about Catholics. I just want you to understand the differences. So we wouldn't call it the Eucharist over this differing understanding of it. But where we would agree is when we're taking communion or the Lord's Supper, It is a form of repentance where we are coming again and we are admitting, I'm so sinful, his body had to be broken for me. I'm so needy, his blood had to be shed for me. We talked about this in the Welcome to Our Family series. Baptism is the entrance into the family of God. Communion or the Lord's Supper is our re-upping to the family, Now, different traditions do it differently. Again, Catholic churches would do it weekly. We kind of do it quarterly. Jesus doesn't tell us how often to do it, just do it. And then the New Testament writers pick this up, and Paul specifically to the Corinthians church, he's saying, your problem is you're misabusing communion. Because they were doing it because they were hungry instead of examining themselves first and then seeing had they sinned against their brother. So the reason why I'm harping on this is because communion is a time for us to step back once more and say, am I really coming to Jesus as bread? Am I really coming to Jesus as my source? What things do I need to confess and repent about that I have gone to instead of Jesus? In fact, look at how Jesus says it like this, verse 55 for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now, if something is true, I love that Jesus used that word. It is a separate word. If something is true, then it's, By definition, saying something else is what? False. Remember true-false, Remember I don't know if they use Scantrons anymore, but um, true-false, sometimes I like them, sometimes I didn't, sometimes I like multiple choice because I got a better percentage, right? But true-false, it's either true or it's false. There's no like, can I circle the hyphen? (laughs) Right? This is why... In elementary school, when you wrote a letter to that boy or that girl, will you go out with me? And you said yes or no, and they circled or, you were devastated. I don't know, Did you ever have that happen? I had that happen. Like, I don't know what to do with or. Right? I would rather have a no so I can move on. And or is like, what, 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 what do I do with this? And what Jesus is saying here is there's no or. There's no middle. It's either true or it's false, which is why, and we'll get to this later, in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the something, and the life. What does he say in that middle word? The truth. So watch this. I say this often. The way to life is through the truth. So if I'm going to know the truth, I had better know what is false. Now, watch this. This is where we get ourselves in trouble. We come to Jesus for bread. And what we really want is not him as the truth. We want him to give us these other things that are ultimately false. That's why it's damning. And that's a Bible word, so I hope you're not offended by that. What I mean by that, if you do that, your soul won't live forever with Jesus. See, this is where, and I get it, we have complex relationships with things. It's no longer about food anymore because when I'm depressed, it is now, we put an adjective in front of it, comfort food. It's almost like Jesus understands us. But Jesus said in John 16, the Holy Spirit will come and comfort you. So when I'm going to food to comfort me, my soul's in danger. And this is why I said earlier, I do believe that in the communion, it was actually wine, because what Jesus is saying is, my blood is better than wine. But how often do we go to wine and strong drink to just take a break from the world? I don't know if you know this, but alcohol sales are through the roof during this pandemic. Which it's no wonder why depressions and suicides are up. Because it's a depressant. But that's the complexity of the relationship. We come to it because we're struggling emotionally, and yet all it will do is give us empty calories. And not just empty in that they won't go to your thighs because you know they're not really empty. They will. But they're empty because they can't do anything for you. Now, is it wrong to drink? Is it wrong to eat? No. But it is wrong to look to them as true, as the thing. Now, watch this. Not just the thing. That will satisfy us. It's also a person. You know, the Bible talks about Antichrist, and, and Christians, we're like, you know, acutely familiar with it. This is why every presidential election we think we have found the next Antichrist. Like we found him. There he is. There she is. I don't listen to wackos who tell me that stuff because the Bible doesn't speak of one Antichrist, it speaks of many. And there's a spirit of the Antichrist. So here's all you need to know about the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is this. Anything or anyone who would take your eyes off Jesus. Anything or anyone. See, there's a lot of believers that have given in to the spirit of the Antichrist thinking a president will save us. Anything, anyone. Who claims that they have power to do what only God can do. See, Jesus says, I am the true food, the true drink. You come to me. Now, I love how he says this, my living father. My living father. That's a unique phrase that he gives to his father. And it's one of the first times he says that because he normally just says my father or the father, but now he puts a descriptor on it, living father. Why? Why? Look, he goes on, verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum or Kephar Nahum, It's on the west side. I've actually stood in that synagogue. And Lord willing, one day we'll take people to Israel so you can stand in those places. Because it's a sobering thing to stand in the place where he said these words. And then let those words hit you where you ask yourself a question. Am I eating that bread? Am I believing that? Because that's the message. Now, I said I love how he talked about his living father and then he says this is not the bread that your fathers ate so watch this his father their fathers the title of today's message is not your fathers bread the saints your fathers bread and why does jesus contrast that because the fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and died. And that bread was always symbolic of there was another bread that was coming down, which is Jesus. You want to know why the next generation of children walk away from Jesus? It's because almost always they don't see their fathers enjoying Jesus. You go look at any stat. I'll talk about this at some other point. It's still like, you know, percolating in my heart because I got to examine myself. But you go look at any stat. And the root cause of whatever stat of like, why are kids in jail? Why is pornography rampant? Why this? Why that? All these like, Failures of society, and all of them can be traced back to an absent dad, an absent father. And how many times do our kids walk away from Jesus because they don't see the fathers enjoying Jesus? The most compelling thing about Jesus's message, in my opinion, is how he speaks of his father. And see, and I grew up in a home where, and I can say this now, and I don't think my father would be upset about it, for the first 13 years of my life, that was what life was like. Not that my dad was a bad guy, he was working hard, but he wasn't there. But then I got saved and our whole family turned around and then I had a different dad. And the greatest joy in my life today is I have a father who enjoys Jesus. I'll never forget. I preached my first summer when I was 19. It was for my 17-year-old cousin. And as I was preparing, my father came into the room and he said, son, can I pray for you? My dad didn't do that. And now seeing my father enjoy Jesus inspires me to want my son to see his dad, my daughter to see her dad enjoying Jesus. The greatest crisis in the world today is not that your side didn't get the election. It's the followers of Jesus not coming to Jesus as bread. But you come to Jesus as bread, you enjoy Jesus, and then the next generation will come behind you and say, I'll have what he's having. I I want that. And Jesus was telling them, and therefore, listen to me, God is teaching you today. Come to Jesus as bread. Come to Jesus as bread. Taste and see that he is good and you will live forever. Let me leave you with this quote from Billy Graham. I heard it this week from a great preacher, Pastor David. As he was preaching a funeral and it just struck me and Billy Graham got it from D.L. Moody and He kind of rephrased it, and it says this. Someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. You want to know what made Billy Graham's message so powerful? It's not that he was the best communicator. It's that he enjoyed the Jesus he preached about. It gave his message integrity. And what he looked forward to the most was being with Jesus to the point where he said, you will hear I have died. Don't you believe it? I am alive. I've just changed my address. I am enjoying Jesus, and this is why I always tell you, Jesus didn't die to get us to a place. He died to get us to a person, your Father, who's living and who wants to satisfy you, teach you about Jesus. And so the invitation, what if we shared the gospel like that? Not about all these laws or rules, and I'm not saying there's not commands to obey, there is, but what if we shared the gospel is come and taste and see that he's good, Come and get true bread and true drink. Come and taste and see and you will live forever. My friends, that is a compelling message because it's true. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us By sending us your son who is alive, you came down and went back up because you cared about us. And so, God, I pray. Right now, for anybody who has not come to Jesus as bread, as the true source, our hearts were made by you, and therefore they were made for you, and no one but you can fill them. So God, I pray right now for anybody in the house or watching that has not trusted in Jesus, has not come to Jesus as bread that you would save them. If that's you, nobody looking around or talking, if you want to come to Jesus as bread today, and you may have grown up in church, but you had never come to Jesus for Jesus, then today the invitation is come and eat and drink. Believe. So if that's you, you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this. Say, Father, Father, Thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus in my place for my sin. I believe that Jesus died in my place, rose again. So I ask you now to save me. Fill me with your spirit. I want to enjoy Jesus as my true source. Again, nobody looking around or talking. If you just trusted Jesus, we simply wanna know about that. If you're in one of our physical locations, you can just simply lift your hand up. We got men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand, and when they do, you can put it down. Thank you. If you're online or in person in just a second, you have an opportunity to fill out our digital connection card and let us know who you are. And then those of us who have trusted in Jesus, the invitation today is, again, you don't need to be saved again, but enjoy Jesus. Ask Jesus, I have to do this almost daily to identify the things in you that you're going to as your source. And repent and say, Father, I'm sorry. Give me the grace I need to come to Jesus. to not look to anything or anyone and if you are a father here today, I want to encourage you. You enjoy Jesus. See see what can happen when your kids see you enjoying Jesus. I don't ever want it to be said of the people of Revolution Church that they didn't see us enjoying Jesus. That is what our greatest legacy will ever be no matter how many years God gives us to enjoy Jesus. So Father, would you not only place that desire in our hearts to enjoy Jesus, but overcome our resistance to those things that we look to instead of Jesus. Thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, church.